Well, good evening, and it's good to be with you again uh, this evening. We've had a, a joyful day here in Lewis. We were able to visit the sister congregation in Carloway and to celebrate with them the refurbishment of their building. And it's great to be back together with you this evening. We're going to begin our time by singing to God's praise. And before we do, I wanted to read some words from the 98th Psalm, which we'll sing in just a moment. But the psalmist writes, So sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Well, let's begin our time together this evening in doing just that. As we sing together the first six verses of the Sing Psalms version of Psalm 98. We'll sing Psalm 98 to the tune Gainsborough.
Let's continue now in praying to our gracious God and Father. Let us pray together. Gracious God, we do rejoice this night as we lift up our voices to praise you, as we sing to you a new song. Lord, we remember that you are the King over this whole world. Before you, the nations are a drop in a bucket. They are as dust in your hand, for you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We bow our knees before you, our gracious God, knowing that you are the one who holds sway over all the peoples and that you are the one who has sent salvation to all lands that your saving work, that your righteousness about which we have sung has been made known to all nations in and through your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this evening we turn our attention to him, giving him the love and the praise of our hearts, recognising that he is the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created. We humble ourselves before the one who stepped down, who stepped into this world that he had made and which we had tarnished with our sin and our disobedience. We thank you that he was willing to go all the way to Calvary's cross, to experience rejection at the hands of men, to taste death for all, to suffer for us, that we might be redeemed from our sins. We might be reconciled to you as our God and as our Father, and that we might one day be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before you. And so we rejoice as the psalmist rejoiced in your victory, in your mighty works of salvation, in your righteousness. We are conscious that one day the world will be judged in righteousness. But this day, this night, the judge comes to us as Lord and Saviour. And he speaks to us once more of your steadfast love and of your faithfulness. This weekend we are reminded once more of the new covenant made in his blood. A covenant that promises to us the forgiveness of all of our sins. That promises that our hearts might be filled with your Holy Spirit. And that we might walk in newness of life. Gracious God, as we gather tonight to worship you. To wait on you. To hear what you have to say. We ask that the peace of Christ might dwell among us, that we might dwell together in peace and unity, that we might maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Grant us, we pray, soft hearts to forgive one another, to bear with one another if there has been any wrong committed against us. Help us to put on compassionate hearts,
and to be reminded once more of what we have been forgiven from in Christ, that we might graciously forgive others. As we have freely received, so might we freely give. So we ask you, Lord, help us to walk in newness of life, to live in unity as brothers and sisters should, that you might bestow the blessing upon us as individuals and as a congregation of Christ's people. We ask that that itself would be a witness to the wider world who might look in, who might listen in, and who might themselves learn of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we gather and in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, last night we thought of true forgiveness, true faithfulness, I should say, as we studied together in uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, the faithfulness of God to his very often unfaithful people. And uh, this evening, in just a moment, we'll read from Matthew chapter 18 and think about true forgiveness, how we in the gospel are forgiven all of our sins. They are cast into the very depths of the sea and how we are therefore to forgive one another. Before we do, we'll sing a psalm once more. We're going to sing the metrical version of Psalm 133 to the tune Our Dross, a psalm that speaks of the unity of the Lord's people and how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And so we'll sing together Psalm 133. Behold how good a thing it is and how becoming well together such as brethren are in unity to dwell. We sing together to the praise of God.
Well, I want us to read together now from Matthew chapter 18 and verses 15 down to verse 35. If you have the same version as I do of the Church Bible, it's on page 993, but the verses can be found in Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 15, with the heading, If Your Brother Sins Against You. Let us hear together the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on anything, on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had, been, all had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And we thank God for his word to us. Before we study uh, together, we'll sing once more, this time from Sing Psalms and the 25th Psalm, which we shall sing to the tune Heron Gate, Psalm 
25. To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. I trust in you continually. Do not, me let, do not let me be put to shame, nor let my foes gloat over me. We sing verses 1 to verse 7. Let me invite you to keep your Bible open to Matthew 18 as we think tonight together of the subject about which we have just sung true forgiveness. 
It's a joy to be together this weekend, uh, to share fellowship, uh, to share partnership in the gospel, and it's a joy to come together and to worship before Almighty God. And as we prepare our hearts for the services tomorrow, I thought it would be good to think on the subject of forgiveness, to reflect on the forgiveness of sins promised through the gospel, but also to ask if we need to show forgiveness to any in the fellowship or to seek forgiveness from any in the congregation. Yesterday evening we thought of true faithfulness, Nehemiah chapter 9. We thought of the faithfulness of God who makes and keeps promises, the God of great mercy and steadfast love who forgave his people their sins time and again in the Old Testament history. And tonight we'll think about the forgiveness we have received if we are in Christ and the forgiveness we need to show one another if we are together in his church. And it's a very important word, it's a very relevant word because in life we have all kinds of relationships Relationships can be a source of great joy and also a source of great sorrow. When these relationships break down, our hearts can be heavy. I always like to read a kind of history book or biography. And the other day I ordered a copy of Paul Allen, Idea Man, which is a memoir by the co-founder of Microsoft. I didn't realize that the history of computer programming was so exciting. It's a real page-turner. And Paul Allen co-founded Microsoft with his childhood friend Bill Gates while they were really just teenagers. They worked together for about a decade, day and night. They worked together. They, they shared a flat. But when they turned 30 or so, they fell out. Paul Allen felt he was mistreated. The business partnership effectively ended. The personal relationship came to an end, though they were later reconciled. And it's just one example of a broken relationship, such as we see between nations in workplaces, in extended families, in homes, and sadly, and all too often in Christian communities. The Christian missionary psychiatrist Marjorie Foyle wrote a book about stress among Christian workers. And she said the number one reason Christian missionaries leave the field of service is because of conflict with other missionaries. But we don't have to go overseas to find relationship difficulties. Maybe there are churches where you can say, well, that's the church I used to go to, or that's the church I never go to because of something that happened, something that was said. So we might attend a convention, such as the Keswick Convention, with its great motto, all one in Christ Jesus. We might read a chapter such as Matthew 18, we might sing Psalm 133. But at the same time, there might be someone here tonight that you avoid eye contact with, you would not sit next to, you perhaps haven't spoken to for years. 
because of something they said or did, because of something they didn't see or didn't do that perhaps they should have done. And in any gathering of people, especially a multicultural, multi-generational body such as the Church of Christ, there will be differences of opinion. There will be disagreements. There may be miscommunication and misunderstanding. Perhaps somebody said something to you. Perhaps somebody said something about you. Perhaps behind your back. Maybe there is a disagreement in the workplace that has spilled over into the church. There are many, many reasons why relationships between brothers and sisters may have been strained or even severed. And Matthew 18 addresses this subject that concerns the parable of an unforgiving servant. There are some parables still well known in our culture, still alluded to in the wider society, the good Samaritan, the prodigal son, this parable perhaps less well known but no less important and it has much to say tonight about the subject of Christian unity. And I suggest it's very important for two reasons. Firstly, as we've just sung, it is good and pleasant when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. How it must please our Heavenly Father when his children get on and love one another. And secondly, because our witness to the world depends upon it, did not the Lord Jesus himself say that it is by our love for one another that all men shall know that we are his disciples? So the pleasure of God, the persuasiveness of the gospel depends upon good and loving relationships between Christians. So we'll look together at this parable and the verses which precede it. And the whole section of this gospel has to do with relationships between disciples. Uh, chapter 18, verse 1, we see the disciples are having some issues of their own. As they come to the Lord and say, who's the greatest? Who's your favorite? Who's number one in the kingdom of heaven? And so the subsequent teaching has to do with our relationships and our responsibilities toward one another. We're not to look down on one another. The disciples were looking down on each other. But we are to look out for one another and to care for one another and to guide one another in the path of life. So I've got two headings, two divisions, verses 15 to 20. If we are sinned against, we must show our brother or sister their fault. And verse 21 to 35, we must then show them forgiveness. And it may be, you think, well, I, I find it very easy to show people their faults. That's not going to be hard. But it's not so easy to show them our forgiveness. And so we want to think about that now, verse 15 to 20, showing them their fault. When we are in Christ, we are also in his church. We are drawn into his community. The German 
theologian and martyr, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wrote a book called Life Together. And that could summarize, couldn't it, our Christian experience. We, we, we share life together. We have responsibilities toward one another. And as Christians, we are only, not only responsible for one another, we are actually accountable to one another. A few years ago, I used to work as a doctor, mostly around Glasgow. And uh, while training as a doctor, you're subject to all kinds of appraisals. And in one department, they had what was called a 360-degree appraisal. And effectively, they asked different members of staff how you were getting on. The nurses, your colleagues, the doctors, the, the cleaners. And they wanted to get a, a 360-degree portrait, whether you were working well, relating well to other members of the team. And if there were issues, you were given a bit of feedback to help you address any issues, to help you grow in your workplace. And there's a little bit of a sense of that here, that as Christians we are accountable to one another, we are to, to help one another grow, to encourage one another, but sometimes perhaps to admonish one another. And just before uh, this passage, we have the parable of the lost sheep, and it talks about uh, sheep going astray, but then being found again, and very often we can go astray in our Christian lives. Something as simple as church attendance, but something perhaps more complex is the, the state of our hearts, whether our hearts are still happy in the Lord. And we have a responsibility to encourage one another. Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, says this, if somebody is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual ought to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So we're part of Christ's body, responsible for and accountable to one another. And the question before us, verse 15, is what happens if somebody in the church is sinning or particularly sinning against us? It may, uh, some interpreters take that to mean if we see a brother or sister falling into sin or if it specifically refers to sinning against somebody in the body, in the fellowship. What are we to do though if we see somebody going astray? Well, what we're not to do is to simply ignore it turn a blind eye, sweep it under the carpet, hope it'll go away, be a fairly apathetic shepherd that didn't care about the sheep just wandering off across the roads and, and into the fields. We're not to gossip about them. We're not to hold a grudge against them. There are issues, interpersonal issues, that need to be addressed. You see, as Christians in the church, we come together for comfort, to be strengthened when we're suffering and facing trials of many kinds. But we must also expect a degree of challenge if we're sinning, if we're straying, that we'll be called back to Christ, the chief shepherd. And this isn't something we ought to resent. Uh, in the workplace, it was never particularly comfortable getting feedback. Sometimes it stung but it was helpful. 
helped you to grow, helped us to address any problems, any issues. And so too in the Christian life. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 8, reprove a wise man and he will love you. Elsewhere in that book we read these words, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes we need that gentle word of encouragement, that word of admonition. And in verse 15 we read of this situation where a brother sins against another brother or sister. And the Lord teaches us a sequence in which to address these difficulties. Verse 15. If they sin against you, go and tell them their fault alone. So we begin with something which is private and uh, informal. And this then progresses to something more public, more formal. But initially, the Lord says, if there's an issue... Don't let the bitter root grow up in your heart. Go and speak to the one who has sinned against you. Invite them round. Take them for a coffee. I had one friend that was a student worker, working with uh, Christian students. And uh, when they were washing the dishes after meals, he felt that was always the best time to ask the really difficult questions because you were concentrating on something. You weren't looking each other in the face. And that was when he really asked you the challenging questions about your Christian life and walk. Verse 16, but if they won't listen, take one or two others with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses to emphasize the gravity of the situation. Take two or three others, as in the Old Testament there were two or three witnesses. And if they refuse to listen to that, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, effectively they are to be put out of the church, treated as a Jewish person of that day might have treated a Gentile or a tax collector. There is a, a weight to these words. If somebody refuses to listen to a friend, to a company of their friends, to the leadership of the local church, there is a weight behind them. And that admonition comes with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 5, says that when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are to deliver this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his soul may be saved in the day of the Lord. Likewise, verse 19 and 20, Jesus says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. A wonderful, comforting verse that reminds us of our Emmanuel, our God with us, Jesus Christ, who never leaves us, never forsakes us who is present in the company of his people when discipline is being exercised. And effectively we do have here a, a pattern of what we know is church discipline. Discipline is one of these words that can have both a positive and a negative connotation. So in the realm of music or sport we can admire 
an athlete or a musician, we say, oh, they've got wonderful self-discipline. They're up at 4 a.m. every morning. They jog 20 miles. They do 3,000 press-ups. Sir Andy Murray, great self-discipline. But it can have a negative connotation. And which of us at school didn't dread being sent to sit outside the headmaster's office with the fear of what might await us behind the door? But church discipline, here the discipline of a loving Christian family exhorting and encouraging one another, is always intended to lead to repentance, to lead to restoration. Writing to the church again in uh, Corinth, Paul speaks about that, not allowing somebody to be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow, showing compassion and comfort to the one who'd, who'd sinned and repented to bring them back in to the fellowship. This pattern of behavior is a means of restoring the straying sheep of these earlier verses, the, the brother or sister wandering off into far off fields, bringing them back to the shepherd. And so the Lord says, if you see a brother or sister sinning, if they've sinned against you, perhaps the quiet word is where you should begin. If they refuse to listen, take some others, seek to persuade them, seek to win them back. But if they dig their heels and if they harden their heart, tell it to the church. As Christians, we are to look out for one another. We are to listen to one another. This behavior the Lord teaches is not about coercion or control, but it is about concern, looking out for one another. Is so-and-so still coming? to the services, to the meetings? Is their life still in good standing with the Lord, with their brothers and sisters? Doesn't mean proactively appointing ourselves a kind of moral policeman, but it means being open to reacting to, to things we might see or hear. Give you some examples. Went to a cow service once in a different church from my own. And there was a man clearly under the influence. And he explained that he was a member of the church. And I thought, well, maybe not appropriate behavior as a representative of this congregation. Visited the home of a friend and his wife, and he was very short with his wife, very bad-tempered, somewhat grumpy. Perhaps I should have said something. Is everything okay? Attended a conference, well-known speaker giving a public talk. Some of the language, some of the illustrations, inappropriate for a Christian leader to use. Or the invitation extended to come to a Sunday service, persistently turned down, messages unanswered. The answer, if given, always no. Just little things but little things that might speak to us of something greater, something deeper in their lives. Is there a problem with drink? Is there a problem in your marriage? You're getting carried away with the publicity. And so the Lord says, if your brother sins against you, have a word. Tell him his fault. Bring him back. Listen to him, but let him listen to you. 
Don't just sweep it under the carpet. That seems to be the sense of what's going on here. The Lord saying, if somebody's sinning, show them in a spirit of love and gentleness their fault. We notice three things by means of application. Firstly, this pattern, this process is instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He underlines for his people our responsibility toward one another. Whether the word informally, the privacy of a home, whether the process of discipline formally in a more public setting, it is the Lord who wants us to be accountable to be open, to be transparent with one another. And the goal is that we will be one in Christ. People may sin against us. Maybe even this week somebody has caused you offence. Unfortunately, people do say and do things that are hurtful. I'm sure all of us at some point have said or done something inadvertently perhaps, which is hurt someone else in the fellowship, it can't be avoided. On church website in the state, the states, says, oh, everybody's welcome to this church. But I should warn you, the building is filled with sinners. People might say or do things that cause offence. But as members of a Christian fellowship, we are therefore to be willing and open to receive Correction, to be like the wise man of Proverbs 9 who, who, who longs to be made wiser still, even if the feedback, even if the constructive criticism stings, recognizing that it produces a harvest of righteousness. It takes humility to listen, wisdom to discern if there's anything there that needs to be acted upon. Part of being a Christian not only being comforted, but being challenged by the Lord, by his word, and sometimes by a loving brother or sister. And that's really what church membership is about in part. As we approach the season, we think about what it means to be a communicant member of a congregation. And at one level, becoming a member is to say to the leadership of that church that I'm willing to be held accountable for my Christian walk and my Christian witness. And I look forward to being prayed for, but I'm open to being asked questions about my Christian life. I'm open to somebody having a word, a, a private and formal word, if something comes to their attention that is inconsistent in my conduct or my conversation. Indeed, not joining a church is to say at one level that I don't want anyone to be held, I don't want to be held accountable to anyone. I don't want anyone to be taking such an interest in my life. But the Lord says we have responsibilities toward one another. Not to look down on one another as the disciples did, but to look out for one another and to care for one another, and where necessary, to restore one another. So firstly, he says, if somebody sins against you, show them their fault. But then in this parable, verse 21, he says, if they sin against you, of course, you must show them your forgiveness. And Christian 
Forgiveness, when exercised, is extremely powerful. I was uh, delighted to find a Christian bookshop here uh, just yesterday, and we had a, a great time browsing the books, and I saw some books about the work of God in China in the past century, the remarkable growth, miraculous growth, of the Christian church in China. And it reminded me of the story of a Christian leader who had published a book and was getting a certain amount of publicity in the West. book sought to glorify God, tell of some of his marvelous works, and yet there were those who didn't believe what was written in this book. There was one man in particular that began a campaign against the author, and he began a website, and he somehow influenced other leaders in the Chinese church to, to disown this man, to claim that he was a fraud, to drag his name through the dirt. And after this had rumbled on for a number of months, somebody went to this Chinese leader, and they said, what, what is your comment? What do you say to this individual and to these other leaders? He's turned against you. And this brother very graciously responded by saying, I have absolutely nothing against these brothers of mine. And I look forward to the day when we will embrace one another before the throne of the Lamb. He turned the other cheek. He forgave his critics. And Peter wants to understand more about Christian forgiveness, verse 21. How many times must I forgive him? Seven times? Now the rabbis of the day taught that if you were sinned against, you had to forgive somebody up to three times. So Peter is really looking for top marks here. Seven times, Lord, that's more than twice what the rabbis are teaching. But the Lord Jesus raises the bar even higher, as high as he can raise it, not seven times but 70 times seven. Seven, the number of completeness, 70 times seven, 77. Fullness, completeness, as many times as you are being sinned against. Total, true forgiveness. One writer says there's no point burying a hatchet if you're going to put up a marker on the site. And so the Lord goes on to tell this parable to emphasize the importance of forgiveness. There is a king, and he comes to the end of his tax year, and he's settling accounts with his servants. In verse 24, one servant is brought in who owes 10,000 talents. If you have the footnote in your Bibles, I have in this church Bible, you can scan down. And it says a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. So here is a man who somehow, and we don't know how, has run up extraordinary debts in the service of the king. Not thousands of pounds or millions of pounds, but billions of pounds. Paul Allen was worth, I think, at his peak, something like 26 billion pounds. Microsoft, one of the largest companies in the world, it is that kind of sum of money. This man is in debt. And he comes before the king. And verse 25 says he could not pay. 
His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had. Total ruin. The bailiffs coming round the house, taking away the jewellery, the sentimental items. The house itself being repossessed by the bank. And then worst of all, his wife and children being torn from him and sold off as slaves to try and settle a fraction of the debt. Total ruin. Verse 26, the servant falls on his knees and he cries out, have patience, have mercy, have pity on me and I will pay you everything. And verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master released him and forgave him the debt at extraordinary cost to the master. He was willing to forgive this unworthy servant. And would that not be cause for great rejoicing? As he has back his home, as he has back his wife and his children, as he has back his life, and you think it might be the kind of rejoicing we see earlier in the chapter, gathering together friends, praising the master who showed him mercy, given his life back. But on the way home, he meets one of his colleagues, and this man owes him a hundred denarii. A denarii was a day's wage, so we're talking here a couple of months' salary, a matter of a, a few thousand pounds. And instead of telling him the good news about the generous master, he seizes him and chokes him and says, pay what you owe. And the fellow servant falls down and pleads with him. And he says the very same words the first servant said to his master, have patience with me and I will repay you. And you might think he would have patience. And in his joy and in his gratitude and in his gladness, let the man go. But verse 30, he refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when the fellow servants hear about this, they're appalled. And they go to the master and they tell him what happened. And the master is angry righteously angry, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt, billions of pounds, because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you. He was shown mercy, but he refused to show mercy. He was forgiven, but he refused to forgive others. And Jesus warns what his heavenly Father will do to everyone if they do not forgive their brother from the heart, casting them to the jailers until they should pay all the debt. So Peter's answer, how often will I forgive my brother? Jesus says 70 times 7. Whenever your brother asks to be forgiven, you will forgive him. 
because you will remember how much you have been forgiven by your master. One writer says, it is the person who most knows himself liable to fall that will be most likely to overlook any offences from his fellow man. If somebody sins against us, if somebody offends us, we need to remember how much we in our lives have sinned against a holy God, how much we have offended the creator and ruler of all things. And then to remember how much he has forgiven us, what it cost him, not in talents, but in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed at Calvary. And we remember how he cancelled all our debts. It should make it possible for us to forgive others and to forgive their trespasses as we have trespassed against our Father. Writing to the church in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. In the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive one another their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. We refuse to cancel the debts of others, then our debt will remain. And so the Lord teaches us to practice forgiveness, to show the mercy that we have been shown. And that's such a liberating thing. It's not an easy thing by any stretch. But it frees us from unforgiveness. It frees us from bitterness. And somebody said, bitterness, resenting someone, it's like drinking a cup of poison and expecting the other person to die. It only harms ourselves. One writer speaks of the liberation of forgiveness in these words. A Christian will find it cheaper to pardon than to resent. Forgiveness saves us the expense of anger, the cost of hatred, and the waste of our spirits. So the Lord recognizes there will be great joys in Christian fellowship, encouragements, such as we've shared this weekend, but there will be difficulties, differences. And he says we need to be realistic. We need to be open, transparent. We need to be willing to receive correction, willing sometimes even to give correction, to show one another our faults in a spirit of love. But we need also to bear with one another, to love one another, and to show one another the same forgiveness something of the same forgiveness which we have been shown by our Master, who at the ultimate cost to himself sent his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world in order to free us from our slavery 
and to forgive us all of our sins. He showed us our faults. He shows us his forgiveness. And he invites us to do the same one to another, that we might maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Well, we need God's help in order to do that. And so we're going to pray once more before we close with the final psalm. Let us pray. The godly in the land for holiness renowned, they are the glorious ones in whom all my delight is found. Gracious God, our loving Heavenly Father, how good it is to be here, to be numbered among your people, to know that our names are written in heaven, to have been sealed by your Holy Spirit, who guarantees the inheritance that is to come. And to take time to think of that great multitude above in which we will one day take our place in the heavenly Jerusalem. And Lord, as we think of the church above that great assembly, we rejoice to be part of this church below this congregation. Thank you that you have brought us tonight or in the course of our lives into a congregation in which we can grow and bear fruit, which you can be strengthened and comforted, which we can be prayed for. And Lord, we thank you that this is all of your grace. Thank you for the gospel of grace, which we have thought on tonight. Thank you for the grace at work in each of our lives. Thank you for the visible fruit of that grace, the brotherly love that is shown, the hospitality shared, the generosity encouraged, the hearts knit together in love. And Lord, we ask that in this night and the days to come, you would help us to be reminded that we are one body, different members of the one body, and so to pray for one another. So to encourage one another, so to serve one another, and supremely to love one another. And Lord, we ask that if difficulties arise in our relationships, in our friendships, in our fellowship, that you would give us grace to bear with one another, to forgive one another. That even tonight, if something is not right in our hearts, if there is a root of bitterness growing up, that you would help us to root it out and to forgive one another from the heart, to leave our gifts at the altar and go and make peace and to seek reconciliation. Lord, we remember that our forgiveness came at great cost. And our salvation was purchased not with perishable items like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. 
that the peace and unity of a congregation was not a cheap or an easy thing for you to accomplish. That the Lord Jesus Christ died to make us one. And so help us to live in such a way as to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. Help us to see one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Help us to forgive one another as you have forgiven us a great debt, a great weight of sin, casting it into the very depths of the sea. Lord, thank you that you have taken our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Thank you that they are gone forever from us and that we are now righteous in your sight. So help us, Lord, to live righteously, to walk humbly, to love you, and to love and to bear with one another this night and in the days to come. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to end our time together, we'll sing the metrical version of Psalm 130 to the tune Martyrdom, this great psalm of God's salvation, the plenteous redemption we find in Christ, the forgiveness from all our iniquities. But we shall sing together Psalm 130, Lord, from the depths to thee I cried, my voice, Lord, do thou hear, and to my supplications voice give an attentive Ear we sing together to the praise of God.
And so may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so may the same grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit rest upon us and be with us this night and evermore. Amen.